the quantum mechanics. Yes, we're the quantum mechanics, uh, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between. And yeah, well, it's a long time since we've done this, Ben. It's been over like a month, right? It, yeah, I've sort of I've forgotten how to do it, but I've bought a new pencil case. I've got my <laughs> milk. I've got my apple. I'm all ready for the first day at podcast school. I, I've I've got this vision of you in like like grey shorts, like what's his name, Angus from ACDC at the moment. Well, you know that's what I normally wear, so <laughs> yeah, why, exactly. why would today be any different? So yeah, quite quite a lot's happened. We've we've had little breaks. I've I've moved house um, literally in the last couple of days, which was painful, I have to say. And I'm just surrounded by boxes. Haven't got the internet working yet, so uh, we're we're just we're, we're winging it today, aren't we? We're we're using some old 1970s technology that you might have heard of called the telephone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm talking of old technology. Day before yesterday, you know, like when you're moving, house is empty and you've got to give it that full, you know, sparkly clean. So yes. we were do, doing that in 30, whatever, 33 degree heat, which was not pleasant. And I was hoovering with my like little Dyson vacuum cleaner and it was so hot that the vacuum cleaner just gave up the ghost, just wouldn't do it anymore. So we had to dig dig around, find the old one. You know, the old, the old ones came with bags and you plugged them in, right? So I found yep. that. And the thing was amazing. And I had this weird <laughs> thought, Ben, while I was doing it. Do you remember back in the day when we used to go clubbing and, you know, we'd go to ministry or wherever wherever we're going and the this will make sense. And the different uh, there were different rooms for different styles of dance music, right? Yeah, yeah. So while I was while I was my Dyson was packing up, I was thinking that my Dyson vacuum cleaner is like the happy house room. That it's like, you know, it looks good, it's kind of upbeat and you feel great, it's cordless and you can whiz around. But if you want the serious hardcore techno room, you gotta go for the vacuum cleaner with the bag and the plug. And are you still working for that advertising agency with a Dyson account? <laughs> Probably not anymore. But I, 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 when, when I thought about it, I thought, actually, bag and plug. It would be a great name for a dance movement, right? But based off the fact of my old vacuum cleaner. So I, I was thinking about, like, we could see a Wikipedia uh, entry, if we ever get around to doing ours, that, that says the quantum mechanics invented the bag and plug scene of 2022, summer 2022. Oh, bag and plug. And, yeah. And I get, and, I, and then what, 2023, the scene was ruined where Kanye West did a bag and plug hip-hop uh, collaboration um, and ruined the whole scene. I'm trying to think of what, he, what would he call it? What would he call it? Oh, I've got it. Bag to the future. Oh. <laughs> I think Jerry Halliwell would get in on it with a track called Dustin. And Dustin, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and all credibility would be gone. Papa's got an old school Hoover bag. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say the other thing that you've done is go on holiday. Mm. Spent uh, nearly three weeks... Uh, touring around Scotland, which was absolutely amazing. Some of the bits on the west coast are just—I mean, we were we were in a, we were in a little camper van, and we were looking out over at the at the sea, and it was just the most beautiful thing, beautiful thing. And I I, I like a bit of classical music every now and again. And I I did the uh, is it is it Mendelssohn does the the Scottish suites, and I would just I listened to that looking out on the beach and the ocean and the waves coming in on my headphones. It was just beautiful. And did you see anything paranormal at all? No, nothing. There was a bit of a weird moment when I was like, what the heck is that with bobbing its head up and down in the sea? Uh, but it turned out to be a seal, which was lovely to see, oh. but not paranormal. Um, and, yeah, no, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like a perfect... Uh, positioning for uh, for paranormal activity, but um, 
I enjoyed it nonetheless. I, I, the, the biggest grief we had was um, the kids got a bit downhearted about the lack of uh, 4G and Wi-Fi. That's kids, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask if you'd been to see Nessie. Well, we did. Uh, we did spend about three nights on the shores of Loch Ness. And uh, me and my son, who's a bit Nessie obsessed, we did uh, spend a good few hours gazing at the waves on the lake or the loch and seeing if we could spot any sign of a dinosaur-esque monster, but nothing. Did and, And this brings us on to today's topic. Did you see in the news that the latest Nessie photograph was actually an escaped alpaca that had gone for a swim? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. <laughs> this is partly to do with my lack of internet. <laughs> I don't know what the heck's going on in the world. We could be in war for all I know, but that is amazing. I can see oh, how I don't that know would how happen. to tell you this. <laughs> We are, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, next thing, next thing you're going to tell me, there's a pandemic, <laughs> there's a global economic crisis, and uh, Ukraine and Russia are at war. I, I couldn't believe a word of that. No, don't worry. That's all. That's all fake news. Oh, okay, but um, those. That's amazing. That is actually a brilliant segue to what we're talking about today. So, I thought if you're coming back from holiday, you'll probably have some snaps that you brought back so i Mm -hmm. wanted to talk about paranormal photographs and one very specific one which has been a mystery for well over a hundred years brilliant that is a great idea that is a great idea because i tell you what i kind of there was one point when we were on loch ness actually um and i i didn't have my it's all on iphone now i didn't have my iphone with me and i thought oh my god that is a nessie and then as I looked at it more and more, it was just some uh, almost like stones that kind of almost formed that humpback thing. And in the waves, they yeah. looked like they were moving. So, yeah, I'm obsessed with those kind of photos where, you know, either weird optical illusions or ones that you just can't explain. I guess the older ones are even more interesting because there's no, it's harder to, to, it was harder to fake them back in those days. Well, quite. And so <laughs> we're going to get on to the particular mystery, but I, w- I was going to avoid, like, I think a lot of people quite rightly say, you know, if you see a Yeti, why the heck can't you get a good photograph of it? Some mm. people say they have the, the Patterson-Gimlin film is arguably the best, but it might be faked. But um, there's one photograph that I'm going to um, build up to, which has been... like the obsession of several investigators and it's as clear as day but before we got there i just wanted to talk about like a couple of my favorites that are kind of in this genre and the solway spaceman is one of those Mm. you're familiar with that right yeah indeed yes indeed and uh because there was news about that quite recently which i'm sure you you will talk about but um yes it's 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 very famous isn't it for anyone that doesn't know this was taken in 1964 by a guy called jim templeton who sadly died in 2011 and it's a picture of his young daughter out on a picnic trip and there is a mysterious figure that appears in one of the snaps behind here uh, behind her and that was known as the solway spaceman because for all the world if you and and I would say it's a kind of it's a naive world because you look at it now and we'll talk about what it actually is. But when you look at it then, it does look like an astronaut with a helmet, right? Yeah, well, it, it, it always, if I'm right, it always reminds me of uh, almost the an astronaut that you would see in a 1950s sci-fi B movie. That, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. And as soon as the photograph was developed, and this is kind of like um, a watch-along episode. Um, we'll have these pictures on our social, but just Google Solway Spaceman and you'll see exactly what we're talking about. After the photograph was developed, and I don't really understand this action, 
but he took it to the police. Mr. Templeton took it to the police. And they said, there's nothing out of the ordinary about this and basically ignored him. He then took it to Kodak, the people who made the film with which he, he took the photograph. And they said that it wasn't fake, um, but they didn't talk about what it was. And then this huge media frenzy started so um the cumberland news which is the local newspaper got involved and then when they got involved the daily mail and the daily express get got involved and it became like this huge thing with people looking into you know and speculating and then mr templeton himself and we've covered this story before he mm. talks about the fact that two men in black turn up do you remember that so do, yeah. they um that they approach him and ask him whereabouts this was taken and uh, he gives them he tells them everything about the photograph and they seemingly get mad and run away they're kind of rude to him which i think is my favorite men in black story <laughs> yeah but yeah. when you move forward through time and we now have imaging um software where we can tell what it is it's really 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 obvious it was uh, it was concluded that it was just jim's wife she's wearing a headscarf at the time because it's sunny right. and yeah. she accidentally gets into shot and you you know i it is odd that people didn't sort of say well the elbow so if you're looking at the photograph the elbow to the right of the girl's face is pointing the wrong way if mm. the visor is pointing towards the camera. It is literally just uh, an overexposed shot of Jim's wife wearing a headscarf walking away from the camera. That is all it is. But it caused this massive furore. It's not a fake. It was genuinely considered, mm. you know, a mystery. But the mystery was well and truly solved and is well and truly solved. The there really isn't a Solway spaceman. It is just a trick of the light and the failings of a camera from that period. It's amazing, though, that, you know, his actions of going to the police and, yeah, re really interesting. He, he And he kind of, if I remember rightly, a bit like Lonnie Zamora that we talked about before and his genuine, albeit, you know, depending on your belief, UFO encounter... This guy who took the photo, he got a bit, you know, fed up with the attention and all all the stuff that came with it, right, in the end. Yeah, yeah, he did, yeah, yeah. 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 But, um, so that is an example of somebody not wanting to fake something. Yeah. On, on my journey to the story we're going to talk about, I've kind of been obsessed by this guy. Have you ever come across Colin Evans? who no. um he was a welsh spiritualist medium right and and he claimed that he could levitate have you come across this guy he did have I a ha couple of no. appearances on telly at some point right no i haven't the the only levitation i remember seeing is a bit more modern than that and that's uh, david blaine doing his levitation thing which again is quite interesting how he does it um which we can talk about later but yeah cool well, so so Colin, he would hold these sort of huge mass seances in these large halls and he would request that the room was completely dark and uh, he would stand on a chair as his believers gathered around him and chanted and then there would be a flash, an instant of blinding light and Colin could be seen levitating. Right. <laughs> the only problem is what he was actually doing was jumping and he held in his hand a cord which triggered the um the film camera to um to make a flash and one day he got it wrong and he mistimed the jump and the flash and the photograph very 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 clearly shows a man just jumping so that is um deliberate fakery which is possibly unsurprising yeah and it um so so the flash i guess he he 
did he pass that off as some kind of supernatural occurrence that there was this flash of light rather than anything that he was doing as part of the show? Well, I I think it was left a grey area. I think people understood that it was a camera flash, but the idea was that it wasn't so timed as to match his jump. It was just like a... And and here, people, is proof that Colin is levitating. So if you discombobulate the act of jumping with the flash you could say oh he's been up there for 30 seconds and then there's a flash and so you can all see him because then there's this kind of mystical thing where oh his power seeps away if there is light so he would sink so it's it's all kind of a weird story to tell have you ever seen david blaine do his levitation thing i think he did it in the early days as part of his street magic and um and you, and, you know, you get the shots live of the people around going, oh, my God, you know, completely taken aback. But I remember seeing, you know, like one of those, you know, street magic, unmasked documentary, whatever, um, things that kind of said how he did it. And it's really interesting. There's a way that you can basically move your feet that makes it look like both feet. You lift one foot off the ground and you kind of roll the other one on the ball of your, on the, um, on your toes. And it does make it look like you're slightly floating in the air. So Blaine was apparently very good at this. And then in, uh, after they got the crowd reaction, they'd basically do a second shot. This is what this, this documentary revealing the tricks claims they do a second shot where he was on a rope and they just show his feet being lifted and staying up higher so when they cut it into the edit it looked like he was up for longer than he actually was but it was basically a trick he could do with uh, manipulating his feet basically yeah yeah that's what i'd heard as well and i think there's quite a lot of um camera camera trickery there and and perhaps like invention of scenes yeah and and in a way that gets us into the the core thing i want to talk about today and again like i say this is a watch along so if you were to google thunderbird tombstone 1890 you will see a photograph if you look at Google image search, in fact, you'll see a number of photographs, but the most commonly occurring one is what looks like to be some sort of pterodactyl like creature with its wings outstretched, very wide wings and a number of men dressed in what you would probably call wild west attire. And the picture is usually shown shown in sepia or black and white. What's really interesting, Ben, is obviously, as we said at the start, I have no internet. I haven't even got, I've just about got 3G. And, but I've got that image just, it's almost in, it's almost forced in my mind because it's so striking. And I, and I knew I was going to interrupt you and go, no, don't forget to mention it's in sepia tone. It's such an iconic thing. And it does look exactly like a pterodactyl, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, yeah. But it's not real. And the reason it's not real, well, we'll come on to how it isn't real, but it is supposed to be recreating a real photograph that appeared in a newspaper called the Tombstone Epitaph in 1890. In fact, on April the 26th, 1890. And there has been a lot of controversy about whether there was ever an original photograph of this Thunderbird. And the Thunderbird is a legend in... Well, it's more than a legend. It's regarded by Native Americans as a real true story. It's a real creature. And a lot of people believe that the picture they're seeing there on the image search is really a reproduction of um, something that was in the Tombstone Epitaph. Or... It's actually the original, but neither are true. So let's okay. just go on that journey. But before you go on that journey, Ben, yeah, can I just ask you a quick question about the Native American uh, angle to this, if you know? So 
in terms of that, because that the image that is ingrained in my memory is one that looks just like a pterodactyl, right? Yeah. Um, do the Native Americans do they kind of draw it and have they always drawn it and depicted it in a similar way, or is that a kind of almost an interpretation of what the Thunderbird was for them, or or, or, or for for Native Americans traditionally? Could you say it looks like a pterodactyl? Because I think that's interesting in itself, if that's true. Um, so the, the the way that it is described in Native American legend, it is both consistent and inconsistent. So there is... I can't find any original um, Native American drawings of things that look exactly pterodactyl-like. Sometimes it is depicted as just being a very large black bird other right. times it is depicted as having the more bat-like wings but yeah. i wouldn't say that it is um there is a strong t- tradition of it sort of being pterodactyl-esque because again like i i think a lot of the time it is a verbal communication and yeah. some um semi-abstract artwork so it's very, very difficult to sort of exactly pin down what this creature uh, should look like. And, and, and the, I guess sociologists and anthropologists would say, well, that's because it's a legendary tale and that tale might change very slightly between different tribes and different interpretations. Yeah. But the overall thing is they, in their culture, there is a very, very large bird and it is not something to be messed with. I guess, because um, I was thinking that would be slightly paranormal and weird if it did look like that in Native American culture. But then again, you know, you could have found bones of a pterodactyl, do you know what I mean, which influenced the legend and the look of it. So so even that, on in it, even if it did look exactly like a pterodactyl, that that could easily be explained as well, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and I'm just bringing up some images of um, Native American Thunderbirds now just to refresh myself. Yeah, um, very, very sort of typical um, Native American artwork. But um, from everything I'm seeing here, which is what I expected, um, feathers do um, do appear on pretty much every image. Yeah, okay. Cool. But let's just go back to... Mark Chorvinsky and his effort to find out whether this article ever did appear in the tombstone epitaph. Yeah. And I'm going to quote from him now. And he says, so despite the fact that the epitaph article had been reprinted several times in the last century, local tombstone historians, as well as the editor of a later version of the epitaph claimed that the article never ran. So like what they're saying is no, there was no mention of a thunderbird whatsoever and he, he sort of puts a dig in here because we'll see why he says to a large extent this says more about the incompetence of those who have supposedly researched the case than anything else and i think incompetence in research is a reason why we're still not clear in general as a population we're still not clear as to whether that photograph is real or not Right. And so he goes on to say that he interviewed tombstone historian Ben Trawick and he told him that he had searched in vain through the entire run of the tombstone epitaph for the Thunderbird article. And he says there was no article on the Thunderbird, but it may have appeared in another paper, but not the epitaph. Later on, um, Mark goes on to interview a guy called Wallace Clayton, who is editor of the National Tombstone Epitaph. And... In 1984, in response to a reader's question about the Thunderbird photograph, he said um, he'd spent a lot of time in libraries in Arizona and the major Western history research institutions of California and has never found the photograph nor any mention of the big bird in newspapers of the time. Again, Mark goes to interview Mark uh, Ben Trawick again and re- recently, and he reiterated that he had searched local papers for years over the question and had never seen the Epitaph article. But, he explained, Tombstone resident Jack Fisk had claimed to have seen the article, although it never showed it to him. 
It would be amazing if uh, if it turned out it was in the Tombstone Gazette. <laughs> We've just missed it all these years. Yeah, yeah. But he, he's saying, like, the, there must be a simple way of solving this puzzle. So he says he decides to determine definitely whether or not the article had ever been in the epitaph. The date given for its original publication, as I said, April 26, 1890. And according to the Library of Congress, the only library uh, known to have a full run of the 1890 Tombstone Epitaph is the University of Arizona. So he goes there. And in a short period of time, they confirmed that the Thunderbird article was, in fact, in the Epitaph. And within several days, Mark was able to get a copy of the original Epitaph article. Wow. And the article reads like this. Well, this is a pricey of it. Two ranchers were riding in the desert between Whetstone, Arizona, and the Huaca Mountains in late April 1890, when they came across a winged monster resembling a huge alligator with an extremely elongated tail and an immense pair of wings. The creature appeared exhausted and could only fly short distances. The ranchers, armed with Winchester rifles, chased the creature for several miles, finally getting close enough to fire upon it and wound it. I don't really... I'm a bit upset about this. I mean, why kill it? Well, especially when it, it was obviously completely knackered by, by the sounds of it, that they chase it around and try and kill it, yeah. I know, I know. I feel, I feel really bad for it, and it does. It does contrast, I think, with modern day crypto researchers who set out explicitly not to kill things. Like p- people who hunt yetis wouldn't dream of actually killing a yeti. They want evidence, but they don't try and kill them. Um, and I guess this just speaks of the time. I get. I guess the reason at that time, especially for doing it, would be. If you manage to capture this thing, and you're more likely to capture it dead rather than alive, to to use a Western saying, um, it's it it would have a huge financial value, wouldn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, I'm not I'm not making that as an excuse, but yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. Anyway, we yeah. won't judge them. The creature turned on the men but as it was exhausted, they were able to keep out of its way. They shot the monster again, mortally wounding it. Upon examination, they found out that it was 92 feet long with a diameter of up to 50 inches. It had two feet located a short distance in front of where the wings were joined to the body. The beak was about eight feet long with strong, sharp teeth. The eyes were as large as dinner plates and protruded from the head. The wings measured 78 feet, making the total length from tip to tip about 160 feet. This is big. That's, That's big. huge. That's huge, but teeth's quite interesting for a bird. Yeah. The wings were composed of a thick, nearly translucent membrane. The wings and body were hairless and featherless. The men cut off a small portion of the tip of one wing and took it home with them. One man then went into Tombstone to make preparations to skin the creature. The article claimed that the hide would be sent to eminent scientists for examination. The ranchers returned to the site, accompanied by several prominent men who would endeavour to bring the strange creature to town. Hmm. And that is the last that anyone ever heard of Tombstone Thunderbird. So well, you say it was it it was never mentioned. So so there's this big setup that these guys are going to be bringing it to town, and yeah, then so so the guy goes to the university. He finds the article which originally they thought didn't exist, but the article that you've just uh, done a summary of did, um, and it ends with them about to bring it to town. And then you saying there was no follow up after that. There was no follow-up after that. And the other really important point is that although the article has been proven to exist, 
it is impossible that there was a photograph because in 1890, the Tombstone Epitaph could not practically publish photographs. It didn't have the technical capability. That's that's really interesting, isn't it? So, but it, it shows, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, doesn't it? How, especially with these older stories, how they get distorted, and you know, and why you have to keep such an open mind with these things, rather than you know that middle line that we try and try and skirt or or explore, rather than pure believer or pure skeptic, because. The, the pure believer in you, when you say, ah, oh, the article did exist, you suddenly go, oh, my God, and you're off. You almost, your brain almost says to yourself, right, that's the story I'm going with. But then, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't mean that there is another stuff going on here. I, I, it was interesting as well that you mentioned um, it was in April, but it was in late April that it was published. Because I started thinking about April Fools and stuff like that, but it, it's too late in the month for that, right? It's too, yeah. It's it's the end of April, and yeah. certainly, like, I don't think that sort of newspaper is going to be indulging in an April Fool. And it would also have been odd not to have admitted, um, yeah, you know, some some up. kind of deceit. They, it just wouldn't be within the style of the time to not come clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the most interesting thing from a scientific point of view is that the largest known pterosaur, which is called Quetzalcoatlus, Cotlus. There's always oh, I, one word in every episode. Yeah, I, 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 I thought I, I thought Quester, after the break we were going to agree we weren't going to have any names that we couldn't pronounce, <laughs> but you've just set yourself up again. Now have another crack at it. <laughs> uh It is the largest known pterosaur, as I say, and, and that only had a wingspan only of 36 to 39 feet. Yeah. And the creature they're talking about in the newspaper there was 160 feet. Right. So this would certainly have been out of the realms of any kind of prehistoric creature that we are currently aware of. Right, okay, but that's interesting. What's interesting about this, and the, and the reason that we sort of have this, it, for those of us who are into the paranormal and the weird, sort of recognise this photograph, is because it became romanticised and... Uh, and I mean that in in all senses of the world because word because there was a romance novelist called Jack Brian Pearl, and he wrote an article about the Thunderbird under the pseudonym of Jack Pearl in 1963 for a men's adventure magazine called Saga, and this article was called Monster Bird that Carries Off Human Beings, and he basically took inspiration from that article from the tombstone epitaph and set what he was doing within the context of tombstone and the thunderbird and wrote a uh, a big piece about it uh, which was fiction but was pitched as fact which is why he used the pseudonym <laughs> and at the end of this article that he writes he describes the photograph as showing the Thunderbird nailed to a barn with its wings spread wide, right. 10 men standing in front of it for scale. Sounds right. like the photograph you're looking at and thinking of, doesn't it? It does indeed. It sounds exactly like that. And yeah, I like that idea of kind of passing, passing it off as a true thing. It's funny, what jumped into my mind was you know, famously the Coen Brothers Fargo movie, you know, with that fake statement at the start saying this is this is a true story. You know, you think in, in hundreds of years' time, you know, when when our civilization has declined, they might find that video and think, oh, my God, what were these people like? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, off the back of what Pearl wrote that photograph was constructed. So what we're actually seeing when we look at that photograph is a construction of a fictional scene based upon a real article from 
a report of a creature that may or may not be fantasy and we can't back it up with any evidence because even the piece of the wing that was allegedly cut off has been lost or it never existed it's not there it's not there but that image kind of haunts the internet if you search for well maybe if you search for thunderbird you won't just get that but if you go down any kind of rabbit hole you'll get that and you will find online bloggers claiming it's real but it isn't but that doesn't mean thunderbirds aren't real because i'm going to give you a bit more evidence can i before you do that ben can i just come back to the photograph so you said so this this guy uh pearl who wrote the story under the the assumed name um passing it off as truth but it was a fictional account based on that original piece in the tombstone epitaph um was he responsible for the photo or is is it is it rumored he was responsible for the photo or did it just inspire someone to create it because there's a lot of effort gone into that photograph uh it was it was he he didn't create it but it was created to go with his story ah okay okay hence why there was so much effort because you'd have had to uh, from my memory, you'd have had to create the creature and you know round up ten people to stand there and you know make it make it look authentic. So yeah, somebody's put a lot of effort into the photo. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some somebody has put a lot of effort into it, but I don't. Uh, I don't think they sort of went off and specifically modelled something. I think the reason why it looks the way it does is largely because they just found something that was appropriately similar to what was reported. Because if you look at the dimensions of the creature, and and so the dimensions of the creature reported in the original article are kind of lost within Pearl's article. So what you're seeing there, that creature in that image in the barn is not 160 foot wide. It's only got 10 men in front of it. It's not 160 foot it was obviously borrowed from somewhere and it wouldn't have taken a huge amount for, you know, a a well-funded story magazine with a high circulation to create a photograph like that. In 1963, you know, we're we're in the middle of sci-fi adventure land and... You just go to a prop department and set it up, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, you know, you could you could have phoned up a prop department at one of the studio lots and borrowed something like this. It's yeah, I yeah. don't think it's any big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. From that article, there isn't really any evidence of a Thunderbird. But that doesn't mean there isn't any evidence of a Thunderbird. And during the research, I found some incredible cases. So, for example, in January 2018 in Alaska, a woman spotted a bird with a wingspan nearly as wide as the road. And in Pennsylvania on May 26, 2013, when two friends were walking through the woods near Bryn Athen Castle, they were startled by something extraordinary. They said... It was extremely loud, and I glanced up and saw a huge black bird. It was sitting above us, and we seemed to startle it. It flew about 100 feet to a nearby branch. Its wingspan was at least 10 feet, and judging how far it was, it looked to be around 4 feet tall. Now, that is, both of those sightings seem astonishingly less large than the tombstone epitaph thunderbird but they're still a lot bigger than uh your average bird but then it goes on on the evening of tuesday uh 20 uh 25th of september 2001 a 19 year old claimed to have seen an enormous winged creature flying over route 119 in south greensburg pennsylvania The witness's attention was drawn to the sky by a sound that resembled wings flapping in a thunderstorm. Interesting use of the word thunderstorm there. Yeah, thunder. Looking looking up, the witness saw what appeared to be a bird that had a wingspan of an estimated 10 to 15 feet and a head of about three feet long. So again, smaller, but getting larger. Yeah. And there is one more sighting. Um, and this one 
is uh, th- this one is a little bigger. On June thirteenth, a resident in Greenville, Pennsylvania, was startled by the great size of a greyish black creature seen soaring overhead. At first thinking it was a small aeroplane or ultralight aircraft, this witness observed the bird for at least 20 minutes, clearly seeing its full feathered body, so again in contrast to the original article, to be at least 15 or 20 feet wide and its body length to be about 5 feet. And this bird too was seen to perch on a tree for about 15 minutes before taking to the air again. And the witness said it was the biggest bird I ever saw. So... We've got a number of these kind of large, large birds, but nothing like extraordinary. Like, for example, the California condor has a 10 foot wingspan. Yeah, I was going to say that, that, you know, there are plenty of birds with, um, not plenty, but there are birds with that size wingspan. And if you've never seen one, then, you know, it's, it, it's going to startle you. It's funny because when we moved, house in the last few days the removal guys were loading up the van and you know as you know ben we get a lot of red kites in our area and they were amazed at this red kite flying over going oh my god look at that size of that bird you know it's like we don't take any notice of them anymore but if you if you're not used to seeing them they can really surprise you right they can really surprise you i take notice of them for the mess they leave on my car it's (laughs) it's awful but you're right they are enormous and i remember taking my dog when he was a puppy out across the fields and these things will follow it and i did i did get worried about him being picked up by one of those kites right which leads me neatly into the only actual physical encounter i could find between a human and a thunderbird And it happened on July 25th in 1977 in a residential neighbourhood of Lawndale, Illinois. And at that time, two huge birds swooped out of the sky. But this time, one of them grabbed a 10-year-old boy called Marlon Lowe. Wow. And the other one went for another boy, but he escaped by diving into a neighbour's swimming pool. Marlon struggled violently... And at 35 feet, which is really high, the bird let go of him. 35 feet. That is, I mean, that's a terrifying fall. Um, The bird let go of him. And the kid had the presence of mind to run into a house before he could be snatched again. There were seven witnesses to the, the incident and all of their stories tallied. But the birds flew away before the police arrived. The incident obviously made the news and Marlon became known as Bird Boy. (laughs) And uh, for some unknown reason, the family suffered crank calls, threats and had dead animals left on their their doorstep, you know, as if they should be vilified. But the seven witnesses, and I think, you know, this is similar to when you talk about UFO incidents where seven... You know, yeah. there's a number of people who all say they saw the same thing. But despite the fact that this kid did have injuries, he was he was fine. He, he you know he's still alive to this day. Um, and he was the witnesses saw that he was carried at 35 feet. A lot of this was written off in the press as being down to turkey vultures, but turkey vultures are not that big and they are nowhere big enough to take away a 60 pound boy in their claws nobody goes around being scared of turkey vultures well i was going to say that ben it's like there's a couple of things aren't they they're like you said it was a 10 year old boy i mean i can't i can't even those big birds that we were talking about couldn't take a someone that big i wouldn't have thought and what happened when he was dropped from 35 feet? Surely he must have broken something. Or was it was it was he okay? He was okay. He didn't break anything. He he was obviously they called um doctors. But he's 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 young, he's he's ten yeah, years true. old, he only weighs sixty pounds, and yeah. kids of that age are a bit springy. I mean, 35 feet, I'm trying to picture it now. That's kind of like from the roof of a house plus a bit 
I guess people so do that parkouring high. and stuff, kind of probably jump those yeah. levels, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. But even so, wow. that's terrifying. But but to be able, just the mechanics of a bird being able to lift 60 pounds, yeah. that requires a wingspan of, you know, not insignificant size. And certainly that is not a turkey vulture, a condor, an eagle, any of those things. They couldn't lift anything of that size. And the fact that there were two of them come together. Now, the when the witnesses um, gave their gave their statements, they were they were separated just as um, they do in, as I say, in UFO ones. And they mm. were asked to draw pictures and they all drew the same thing. There isn't any consensus, though, on how big these things are. They just described as being absolutely huge. And and I think that makes me feel a little bit more, I guess, confident about the story because anyone that says, mm. oh, that was definitely a 30-foot wingspan... I I couldn't estimate yep. thirty feet, not with any accuracy. Yeah, I think the best I could do is kind of like, oh, you know, it's like a car on a bit. Yeah, but yeah. then you, you compare it to something you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Perspectives make it difficult, and if it's just snatched a kid, you're not going. Hmm, I wonder how many metros would fit into those car <laughs> into those bird wings. You're thinking, Jesus Christ, that bird's just taken a kid. And, and did, did they and describe all I could say is it's what very the bird, big. Oh, did they describe what the birds looked like? What, what, what would you say? Was it kind of you know like a a bird of prey, a raptor, uh, you know, just a, a, a traditional kind of blackbird? How, how did they describe it? Well, they described it as being dark, with uh, obviously with huge wings. A tail, and there is some uh, description around uh, like having a big head, and this is where the um, the explanation of being a turkey vulture comes from, right. because people are saying, "Oh, it had a, a really really big head for a bird," you know, out of proportion. It was a really big head, and people go, "Well, turkey vultures have really really big heads, yeah. so it was probably a turkey vulture." So. I'm wondering I, also, Ben, whether you can connect it to the owls we did in our last episode because they've got pretty big heads too. Could it have been a giant owl? <laughs> well, it did make me wonder whether this was a screen memory gone wrong. I mean, I right. don't think it is, yeah. but you you know where I'm you know where I'm coming from. Yeah, and, yeah. And and the other thing it made me think of was all of these reports. The only, like, truly cryptozoological thing I've ever seen, which I've described on this show before, so I'm not going to bore you, but I that thing that I saw at night, which was um, a large bat-like creature, very, very large, that unfurled itself off the side of someone's windowsill mm. and jumped into the back garden. Uh, and again, I have sympathy for people who say, you know, I'm not sure how big it was. Because all I can say was it was a bit bigger than a window and and wider than anything I've seen that flies and and genuinely I can't tell you any more than that. Yeah. So, um, but it, it did make me think. I wonder whether there are some of these these things flying about that we're just not very good at cataloging. Mm. But I would say. Like, why is it that we haven't seen the bones? Why is it that we don't see the scat? It mm. doesn't seem to make any sense. I could imagine it in the the wilds of America, you know, a small colony of these things. But when they're, you know, when, when they're coming into, into towns and, for example, snatching kids away, you would think that there would be a sufficient number of them that people would uncover a carcass or, or something. So it, it is quite mysterious. Imagine one of those shitting on your car. Oh, my God. It'd take up the whole body, wouldn't it? Oh, my. You'd need more than a jet wash. <laughs> wow. You really would. You really would. <laughs> and, be, um, it's like, oh, and the small kid it was carrying dented the roof. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, it is impossible. Like, if you live in a seaside, seaside town, you'll be familiar with the mess that seagulls make. And I have a lot of sympathy for you because that is a disgusting, stinky mess. But these um, these red kites that live around us, they're, they're big, chunky birds with big, chunky doings, and they eat mm. dead meat. So their doings are, like, obviously all meat is dead. They eat carrion, so rotten meat. So it's a pretty disgusting outpouring. And one bird can happily cover two cars and the side of a house. It's it's a pretty revolting thing. And although I will say at a county fair two years ago, I saw one unleash its full load over a small child and it was very i've got to admit it was one of the funniest things i've ever seen <laughs> well talking talking of funny things birds do actually there was a great moment when we were on we were in scotland we were staying at a place by the coast actually on the east coast and we were on a, a, a camping site and there's a load of camper vans and caravans and uh, my wife got up she just woke up really early one morning just as the sun was coming up and she went to go and look at the view and she said there were two massive gulls and it was as if they were playing a game they'd go and like they'd stand on a post one of them would fly low over all the camper vans going really loudly waking everybody up and then come back, and then the other one would go and do it. It was like they were playing a game. <laughs> Maybe they were. Said she watched them for about twenty minutes, just doing this game. And then it's like four in the, you know, four thirty-five in the morning. Got a sense of humour. Well, they are intelligent. Yeah, they like let's, let's let's mess with these tourists and just fly over and wake them up early in the morning. Brilliant. They, they they probably have some kind of dastardly mission to steal something off you or yeah well the other one I always remember something. actually was um, we were um, we were in Canada I think I may have told this story before but it's worth a revisit so we're in Canada and we stayed at this amazing place called Mosquito Creek which sounds there was no one there where you think it was because everyone thought there was mosquitoes there was no mosquitoes there. But we, us and our friends parked up our vans and we were just having something to eat. And then another couple came in one of those big RVs, parked close to us, and there's these little benches. And they came out and they, uh, they brought out this lovely big apple pie and put it on the table. And they went back in their van, obviously, to get some cream or whatever it was you have, they were having with it. And this huge, huge bird, like a like a raven type bird, swooped down, grabbed this whole massive pie <laughs> in its beak, <laughs> and just dragged it off <laughs> and flew off into the trees. This poor couple come out and they're like, "Where the hell has our pie gone?" They're looking at us as if we'd taken it, and we'd say, "No, this huge bird came down and swiped your pie." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, likely yeah, yeah. story. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with crumbs. Yeah, and one drove face. off in your car as well. Yeah, yeah, but it was so funny because they literally put this thing down, disappeared for like two seconds, and this bird had just got in there and taken the whole pie off. Well, I will, I will leave our bird tales there, but um, I will say just in the in the. Uh, in the process of putting that together, I discovered that if you are on the Welsh coast in Britain, in, uh, well, this was reported last month, a very rare bird called uh, a lammergeer, a bearded vulture, was seen on the coast of Monmouthshire. And apparently it is a huge bird, bigger than a Jack Russell, um, and the guy took a photograph of it. If you uh, if you search it, you'll see it in some of the local oh, news reports. It's a fairly spectacular thing, which I wouldn't have expected to have seen in the UK. But if you're out looking for odd odd birds, and I not that sort, um, just uh, uh, have a look out for the bearded vulture, which apparently is hanging out in Monmouthshire. But beyond that, I think this what this tells us about. 
um, recorded evidence is, as we always know, you have to take it with a pinch of salt. And all three of those things that I've described, one was an accidental fake, one was a real fake, and one was made up to represent a supposedly true story, but is fake. And so we got to bear in mind when... And this is this is the whole problem with the paranormal because if somebody came and bought us a beautifully posed shot of a uh, of a yeti, where you know, w- posing next to a tree, we go, well, that's fake, but it might not be. And this is the whole conundrum of this yeah. space. But hopefully, that Thunderbird story will give you something to tell your mates about because um, if they're into the paranormal, they might not realise that that thing isn't true. Because if it was true, we'd want to be tracing the relatives of all the people in that photograph, yeah, wouldn't yeah, we? We'd yeah. be searching for their granddaughters and grandsons and interviewing them, but yeah. there's no need because they would just act as... Well, it's funny that, isn't it? It's um, it, It's interesting that actually these kind of stories are even more less it's weird now technology's increased and everybody's carrying a camera but because technology's improved so much it's so easy to fake stuff without going to the trouble of contacting a movie prop department that you know it's almost like i was thinking is there a photo you could believe and you know like you were saying about the perfectly posed uh say a perfectly posed alien there was that one that did the rounds on reddit a few years ago if you remember about the one that's supposed to have escaped from area 51 and had done a selfie by a cactus tree i don't know if you remember that but oh yeah that yeah. went that went crazy for a while it's it's really interesting to to think that isn't it that in a world where we've got a camera with us at all times mostly that actually if you do capture something that who's going to believe it Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And the the other thing but, that I was thinking was, so this is our we uh, the last episode we did was on owls, and this one has been about uh, th- mainly about thunderbirds and birds that carry people off. When we said we were going for a new look and a new direction, just to make it clear to everyone, we are not only going to do supernatural twitcher stories, right? Oh, I. <laughs> We'll do something non-avian next week. <laughs> the non-avian podcast. We should change our name. Um, that Guaranteed that, no birds. And also, uh, the I, you know, we've discussed it before, but it, it's amazing the impact those old photos have on you. You know, like the Cottingley fairies, and you know, obviously they're fake as well. But you know, there's something about the wonder of those old photos that even back to the 60s and 70s that make you i don't know there's a certain nostalgia around it that makes them more special in that pre-digital world right yeah very much so yeah Yeah. they carry a mystique and um and a 10 year old boy knowing how (laughs) yeah 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 um yeah the the backstories are i mean i I'll, I'll take it back it would still be interesting to talk to the people who posed in front of that thunderbird yeah no absolutely picture wondering yeah. yeah what did they think they were posing for yeah yeah definitely well i must say it's been nice to be back and doing the podcast after a month and um i hope everyone's uh, enjoyed our return and uh, let us know about what you think about our new uh, new artwork as well. We'd love to get your thoughts on it because uh, that, uh, that's live for the first time today as well. So, uh, yeah, and we'll, we're, uh, we're on a roll now. We're not going away, are we? We're, we're here every week, right? I'm here all week. We're, we're here every week, um, probably next break, Christmas. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we've got some really interesting stuff lined up and we're going to be... Uh, we're going to be venturing out a little bit more, aren't we? We are going to be venturing out a little bit more, yes. Yes. So we'll, we'll keep you posted on all that. Excellent. Really enjoyed that episode, Ben. We'll look forward to seeing you all next week on The Quantum Mechanics. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye. Bye.
Are you the quantum mechanics?